Welcome back to Jack Howard Colour, the podcast. Today's episode is all about presentation. And we know that presentation skills are fundamentally important. And as hairdressers, we present every single day. But during lockdown, we also realised that we needed to present to our clients in a totally different manner. Things have changed. Times have changed. And I've got two amazing guests with me today, Jogelyn Smith and Simon Shaw. Both come with backgrounds about presentation and presentation skills. Jo's a coach. She's got a background in broadcasting and public speaking. And Simon is a former hairdresser who has been teaching hairdressers to go on stage and present what they're doing for a very long time now and has some very successful names in the industry under his belt Um, and helps people develop their communication skills. So first off, I'd like to say welcome to both of you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for for certainly having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. I just <laughs> thought I thought you'd both be really delightful to talk to. But first of all, I thought we could just to the audience who if they don't know you, just talk a little bit about who you are and what you do. So, Joe, first of all, a little bit about you and of course we've known each other for a long time now. Um, and yeah. your journey in presenting. Yeah, so I suppose um, we met when I was at Harper's Bazaar magazine, um, and I think we met about ten years ago. I was at the magazine for twelve years, and one of the one of the kind of uh, amazing elements of being at the magazine was I got to present to our readers all the time. So I really got the bug for presenting uh, to our, our readers. Uh, that's uh, you know in those days there wasn't digital when I started, so it was all yeah. about sort of face to face presentation, and I really needed to hone those skills to be able to connect uh, with the audience. And so, you know, my journey for public speaking started probably back in around 2004, really, when I was doing it as part of my job. Um, So that's where I got the bug. But actually from there, I started to, you know, I really did find that I enjoyed it. I loved the connection and interaction with an audience. And so I started doing more and more public speaking. And and, uh, and because I was working for a fashion magazine, I combined my love of public speaking with, with dressing and clothing and confidence. And it really stemmed from that. Yes. Uh, I did quite a lot of consultancy uh, for luxury brands. I worked for Harrods and uh, Harvey Nichols and Swarovski, to name a few, uh, helping them uh, build confidence in their staff um, and, and also through their, through their dressing. So we did a lot of work around that. Um, so that's a little bit of the journey. Um, I then went into marketing communications, as you know, and, and last year I started to um, sort of transition into coaching, which is what I'm doing now. Brilliant. I bet there's lots to talk about on that, Joe. So thank you so much for joining us. And Simon, you tell us a little bit more about yourself if people don't know you. So, yeah, I, as you said, I am, I'm not actually a former hairdresser. I have still got about... Oh. 15 clients believe oh, okay. it or not oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> um yeah started in the hairdressing industry um went through the whole Sassoon um setup a long time ago when it was absolutely brilliant I can still remember my very first presentation on stage which was for a company I was working for at the time it was a charity thing I had all the gear and literally no idea I've still got a picture of it, funny enough, and I've got these fantastic pair of glasses on, and but didn't have a clue and was almost traumatised and, and then realised that I needed to, to do something about that. Once I'd set up my own salon, um, 
realized I'm going to be needing to present even more. So started getting into the, the whole journey of how you present. Did a lot of courses, did a lot of online, uh, not online, uh, weekend courses, did a lot of work with the Actors Institute um, and really started to think. And that was all focused on my own presentation style and how I was presenting. And then in about 2000, um, I'd, what happened, I, that salon group that I started, we ended up with 13 salons, about 300 staff. We were doing shows and seminars all over the world, with, mainly with L'Oreal, actually. Um, sold my shares in that, started Simon Shaw Education. And then I got picked up to become part of a program called the ID Artist Program. And the idea behind that was that young hairdressers would be brought in, they'd be given a two-year training program, and part of that program included presentation skills. Mm-hmm. So I had to make that transfer from working on my own skills to then teaching people how to do what I, I had learned how to do. Yes. Again, it's, lots of... Go on. Sorry. Lots, lots of trial to... and error, lots of getting it wrong. Yeah. Um, and then came up with a, a kind of two- and four-day program of taking people through a journey of being a complete novice to being able to... Uh, design develop and present their own their own presentation it's interesting that you both talk about the fact your own personal journeys that then took you on to actually enjoying it and sort of dissecting it and thinking about how you could help other people in that because you know my first stage job was absolutely terrible my presentation skills were horrendous (laughs) even though I'm quite good behind the chair with a client the actual sitting there looking in front of that audience, I thought I was going to die and crawl in a hole. Um, and there was nobody around at that time I felt or knew of that could I could access, and it's much easier to access now. And it's sort of, it was trial and error as I went along with it. Um, so I think this is going to be a really good chat. And I love the way that Joe brought in the fact that she was going into high-end department stores and teaching the staff how to present. Because... Anyone that's in any kind of retail sales, you're presenting something, aren't you? You're selling the dream and you're selling yourself as well in it, um, which is, can be really quite tough, I think. So the first question is, and it's a big one, where do you think, and it's an open table here, where do you think people go wrong? I think, well, not go wrong. I think what happens for a lot of people is that the fear and the nerves stop them from delivering what they want to deliver. And I think they do this classic thing of they match their insides against somebody's outsides. You know, so for instance, Jack, somebody might see you presenting and think, oh, he must never get nervous. He must never get, you know, the the collywobbles like I do. And as we all know, anybody that presents gets nervous. Yes. So I think for me, the number one thing is dealing with that that classic case of, you know, I either clam up, I either go too quick and I babble all over the place, or I completely lose any sense of what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. <There's, laughs> yeah, there is that, isn't it? 
go on, Joe. I was going <laughs> to say, us. I think the, I mean, I call them the public speaking demons, right? So it's it's everything that goes in front of you when you're about to stand up and be really vulnerable in front of a group of people. And everything that goes in front of you is, I'm not good enough. Am I worth being here? Do people want to listen to me? Is my message going to land? Oh, I don't like my outfit. I'm feeling really uncomfortable. I've forgotten my lines. What happens if I go wrong? They're going to criticize me. And it's the same on social media. So I think these, these fears that Simon quite rightly brings up are present, whether you're doing something in public or whether you're doing something exposing on social media like you, Jack. So we were discussing, you know, when I first went on social media to talk about some of the, the things that I'd learned and the journey that I was going on, I was very nervous about that. Now I'm somebody who's been public speaking for you know 15 odd years or whatever it was at the time. Um, and yet that, that exposure felt very vulnerable to me. And, and the main message is that I'm, I'm scared that people are going to judge me. And it is the same whether you're standing in front of 10 people. In fact, standing in front of people you know can, can sometimes be harder. Um, or whether you're standing in front of a room of a thousand people, it's about judgment. And of course, every one of your you know, insecurities will just flash in front of you. And that's the fear that then just suddenly paralyzes you. And then you're unable to either do your best or you make a mistake and it feels like the end of the world. And what we need to train yes. people to do is to understand that actually we're all human. And at the end of the day, the people in the audience are just really happy that they're not having to deliver that speech. And so they're, <laughs> <I like> generally, that. <laughs> they're generally there to, to sit with that. You know, they're there to hold your hand in a way, half them probably not even listening if we're being honest about it. And I always say, you know, look for the people who are looking up or nodding or, or engaged and you can exchange with them because there'll be also the same number of people looking down their phone, whispering at somebody. And if you let those gremlins get in you'll be thinking they're talking about you and they're not because I, I you know, that's the reality isn't it I think it's a really good point about the you know you, you call them the demons or um, I've heard <laughs> the, gremlins. <laughs> the yes. gremlins yeah, yeah. the saboteurs I think yeah. you know they, they're trying to saboteur your well you saboteur yourself really and I think that the judgment thing is I think that's the biggest saboteur we all have you know, we either judge ourselves, we judge other people, or we judge situations. Mm. And I think we're harshest, our own harshest critics, and we mm. judge ourselves more harshly than we judge other people. I think, like Joe was just saying there, I think once we, once people understand that those feelings are normal, and the, I, I always say to people, if you want me to get rid of those feelings forget it because I haven't found a way to do that. I can, I can help you feel them and carry on anyway. Yes. But I can't make those feelings go away. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure Joe would say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I always get this thing yeah. where, I mean, obviously there's the way you, I feel sick, right? Whether that's alive that I'm doing or digitally. And so I'm checking everything 5 million times. I mean, that's just the way I do it. I'm set up three hours before it starts. Or if I'm going on stage, I always feel like I'm going to literally throw up and I'm going to, I'm going to have to leave. And mm. that flight or panic is mm. absolutely massive. And I just have to go and push myself forward and sort of buckle it down, you know. But I, I think I have imposter syndrome sometimes. I'm like, who's going to want to listen to this? And then, of course, 
you're doing it and people you can see that people are enjoying it or you can connect with people but that but that imposter syndrome can really sort of grab you and it's like ouch yeah and actually jack that quite often the higher up people get whether it's in business or as you know the success you've had over the past year with social media the more of an imposter they often feel and mm. it's quite lonely at the top you know it's a lonely place to sit you're you're doing something people are listening to you they're, they're maybe you know they're really focused on on what you're saying every every all eyes are on you right so it's totally normal to feel that way and I feel nervous now before going on stage and I you know, I reconcile that with the fact that if I wasn't feeling nervous or sick or whatever, sometimes I say flashes of light, <laughs> then, you know, I wouldn't be doing something that I care about. Yes. Yes, I agree with right. that. I, I don't, and Simon said that too earlier, that the, the fear, those things never go away. It's the way in which you manage it to then put forward the message that you want to, to communicate, yeah? Yeah. I always say to people as well, when they're presenting, there's the kind of you're, you're either in the stands or you're on the pitch. And when you're on the pitch, that's where the real pressure happens. And think of the fact that you're about to step on and do it. You're the doer. And the people around you, if, even if they are going to criticise you, actually they're, just, they're, they're in the stands. Mm. So I think... It, it takes bravery to get up and, and, and do it. So acknowledging to people, look, you're being brave here. You're doing something great. You know, mm-hmm. you're, 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 you're taking that, you're stepping out outside of your comfort zone. Just, just one thing, Jack, on the sickness thing, that's just your body not needing your stomach contents when you're going to present. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my body doesn't need those contents anyway. I'm always trying to lose a pound or two. <laughs> so actually, it might be worth just quickly talking about preparation for that because I'm sure Simon's got a million techniques. I, and the things that I do um, and that I, I often teach people, um, I find there are two things. First of all, you, you have to be really prepared. So, you know, practicing to to me is one of the ways that really, really helps me. And when I say practicing, I mean speaking your speech out loud, talking out loud, hearing your voice, hearing how it lands, you know, understanding the words that you're going to falter over. Because I always have a word that I can't get out, no matter (laughs) how many times I've said it with friends. For some reason in my speech, it's not coming out right. So change that word. You don't need to say it, you know, and practicing out loud. I'll do it, you know, walking up and down inside my bedroom or in the car is a really good place to practice. You can do that even if you're trying to inspire a team of people before a big job. You know, it's just making sure that your first for me, it's landing the first 30 seconds uh, when you're most nervous. and, And like Jack says, you're you're you can feel it all in the top of your throat. My one of my things that I get, Jack, you feel sick. I have this terrible feeling I'm going to burp. All and right. it bubbles in my it bubbles in my throat and I can feel it, you know, and I and I and it's awful. It's a horror. It goes away, of course, once the nerves are subsided and you're in your stride. But it's the first 30 seconds for me that you need to nail. And so two things that I do is I practice, practice, practice. Now, does it mean it will come out exactly right? No. It doesn't necessarily mean that. And that's fine. And I'm OK with that because they don't know what my speech is. And I've, I've, I've learned that, uh, you know, when we're trying to be perfect, we're never perfect. And the second thing is for me is centering is just making sure before I go up there or go in front of some people, I have just spent a little bit of time breathing. 
because one of the things that happens when we go up on stage and we're extremely nervous or Jack, you may have it. I mean, I had it certainly when I was on, you know, an Insta live because they're quite nerve wracking. There's technology that can go wrong and, you know, all that kind of stuff is, is making sure that you're able to breathe, to release some of your chest because otherwise your voice comes out a bit like that and it's shaking and then you hear your voice shaking and then that's like it's like a vicious circle of of nerves so just spending some time breathing deeply now you won't necessarily be able to do that because your stomach is tight as you know as Simon was saying you know you've got to you don't you know you're in a different mode as you're about to go up and do these things but for me just trying to take some breaths center myself a little bit, visualize that successful speech, visualize it landing with power, you know, visualize your voice. You've heard it a million times. You've been doing your practice. And then I go up, doesn't stop me being nervous, but it really helps me. And what about you, Simon? What do you do in the first 30? Sorry, I'm having a cup of tea. What do you do in your first 30 seconds? Well, actually, interesting. uh, What I would say is the bit before I go on stage I will always try and find somewhere quiet. And what I've begun to learn is that the the speech is not going to be in my head those few moments before I go on stage. What's going to be in my head is my first four or five lines. Mm-hmm. And so I would go somewhere, I'd find a quiet little corner, and I would just, as Joe said, do a little bit of breathing, just... Um, as I like to call it, get my shit together, just mm. pack it up and get it in the right, right place. And when I go on stage, I, what I often say to people is that first 10 seconds of how you stand and even, even you know, your, our, our body language is so, so important when we're on stage you know, the, the physiological as well as the psychological is so, so important. And so I say to people, just think about how you're, how you're standing. Are you grounded? Are, you know, are your feet planted on the floor? You, you know, you see a lot of people come and they'll stand on one foot and they'll tuck one yeah. foot over the other and they'll kind of make themselves a little bit smaller so they look... Trying to hide. Trying to yeah. hide. Yeah. And often when you see people, when they first do it, when we're doing training they'll revert back to an age, you know, could be, they look almost like, God, we've got a five-year-old in front of us. <laughs> um, so it's getting the, the stance right. Not, I, I don't like to call it power pose. I think it's more of a, a grounded pose. And then I think the pace of speech going along with the breathing, mm. you, you can't take pauses unless you're breathing. Mm. So uh, I think as Joe's just pointed out there, the breathing is absolutely critical before and during the presentation once once you get past so we're talking really we we are talking a little bit digital but the moment we're talking about personal live presentations aren't we and there's that moment i think when i i purposefully walk onto the stage or into the venue that i'm going to present in and it feels more confident to purposefully walk into the room which simon you're talking a little bit about how you stand and everything and then for me in that moment, if I can breathe and if I can look around the room and take it in, I somehow can get the first few lines out. And then I just, then it becomes natural to me. But it's just mm-hmm. getting to that position, first of all, and, and just being able to look around the room and look people 
in the eye if you can and actually check the room out a little bit as well I think. Yeah that's so important I mean connection is you know they won't remember half of what you said but they will always remember how you made them feel that's a Maya Angelou quote Um, and I think it's so true it's so true you know your connection with them how the exchange of energy between you and them is so vital to landing a successful speech because if you wanted to crack a joke or if you made a mistake and made light of it if you've got that connection they're with you they're with you all the way and let's face it we all make mistakes Uh, you know technology doesn't work sometimes (laughs) you know you'll forget something sometimes you can be in total flow you know you're in your stride and all of a sudden it's completely gone completely have those yeah and you can have those moments you can say you know what I've completely forgotten what I was going to say next. You know, I'm going to come back to that. Nobody <laughs> judges you. They're just like, almost as you can see the shoulders go down because people are like, yep, he's human. Brilliant. Great. Yes. Let's just, let's yes. get on with it. We're with you. Um, yeah. But you're right. It's that, um, I, I, and I think Simon was saying about the getting on stage and planting your feet. And, you know, it is true that a lot of people will hold on to their arms or they'll hold on to their podium or they'll grab their computer and it's all their their notes suddenly become this, I don't know, this golden chalice they can't get rid of. And that's because you're nervous and it's completely understandable. But if you can take the deep breaths, plant your feet, as you say, Jack, connect with your audience, however large or small, um, mm. I sometimes find a much larger audience is easier, actually, mm. um, because there's so many people. It just looks like a sea of heads rather than if you've got 20 key people. Sometimes it's more about, you know, you can see more um, and that yeah. can be nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, but I think intimate, that connection. I think it's harder, isn't it? For me, it, it can be a little bit harder. Yes. Although mm. the, the one bonus of that, of course, is that you can actually interact with people a bit more easily because you can, you know, you've got only got a few to choose from, and, and yes. if they're if they're willing to offer themselves to to, to connect with you, then that's amazing. But um, yeah, I, I think I, connecting was really great. I think the thing I always say to people is when you get nervous, your watch your eye contact and watch what happens because it's almost like people want to divert from looking who's actually out there. And so, and I just say to them, look, it's just human beings out there, just like you. There's just, you're just presenting to other human beings who mm. are, have the same fears and the same worries as you do. So connect with them. It's a bit like the, but when we were kids, I don't know if when you were a kid, you used to do that thing of trying to get into the bed, turn the light off and get into the bed before the bogeyman got you. <laughs> and it's like people see the audience as the bogeyman and it's kind yes. of, they're not. They, they're here to they're here to listen to you, and they want to they want to hear what you've got to deliver. Mm. I so I, I agree with that, and I think sometimes when I've done events for brands and they want to put a stage up, and they you know, and it's a, say it's maybe twenty or thirty people, and I'm like, don't put a stage, bring me down into the audience because I want to be I don't want to be seen up there. I want to be seen as one of them i want they are one of me it's it's our industry and it's much easier if you make those connections not to be on a stage actually and to be in the room with the humans you know um it's it's a hard one but i always definitely scan the room and i always kind of look for people who are smiling who are you know happy to be there and 
I, the first like the first ever event I did, you know, lots of people left the room. It was so bad anyway. I mean, who would have stayed? <laughs> but, you know, I was counting the people that were going and I should have been counting the people that were still there. And I've sort of kept that little life lesson all the way through with me. Thankfully, not so many people leave the room now and go, oh, God, he's back. <laughs> but, you know, that, that fear never leaves me. No, and your vibe is your tribe, right? So there will always be people who don't want to listen to you, Jack, or don't want to listen to Simon, or don't want to listen to me. And I think it's about changing your thinking around and thinking, you know, if you're going into this to educate people, I mean, Jack, I know this is really important. The education for you is, is fundamentally part of what you do and Simon I'm sure it is with what you do Uh, and for me it's just you know I want to help I want to help as many people as possible find whatever it is that connects them with their passion their purpose and 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 you know and their goals but you know along the way you're going to lose people and you'll lose them in a room or you'll lose them on a, a, a social media journey the problem is as you quite rightly say we so often focus on the people that have left rather than the people that are there. And if I said to you, Jack, today you're going to speak to 50 people and uh, 20 of them, you're going to change their life. You'd say, that's amazing. That's amazing. I'm so excited that 20 people's lives I'm going to really make a difference to. But unfortunately, because we're humans, we always focus on the 30 people that weren't that interested uh, uh, because you're worrying about, what did I do? What did I do to upset (laughs) them? You know, so it's about just reversing that, that, that thinking a little bit and focusing on the people yes. that are there and present and nodding and, and communicating with you. Yeah. I, I think another, another tip is uh, the idea of projection. You know, we, we, when people first start presenting, they project onto the audience and they think they know what they're thinking. You know, yes. they might see somebody who's sitting there a little bit like this and they think, Oh, they must be bored. And <laughs> off their stride and it gets them out of their their flow mm. and I just say to them you have no clue what anybody else is thinking and even if you ask them generally when you ask for feedback people aren't honest so just <laughs> when you're on stage be in that that space where you don't know what the audience is thinking mm. I yeah. might make up I mean, all sorts of stuff but yeah, that's I don't brilliant. actually know I mean, we talk about it in coaching. We talk about being in your heart and not in your head. Mm. Because if you're in your heart, you're truly connected to what you're doing, your passion. You know, you're doing, you're talking about your, you know, colour and and, and, and being behind the chair and how important it is to you. And if you suddenly get up into your head and often we're triggered back into our heads because of the things that Simon was talking about, the person leaning back and crossing their arms or the person getting up to go to the loo or somebody whispering gets you right back into your head. And unfortunately in your head, you're, you know, you're catastrophizing. So if you can get back into your heart, obviously still connecting to the words and the things that you need to do and really deliver what's important to you, it will, it will hundred percent connect with the audience in front of you. And the people who aren't interested, they're never going to be interested. <laughs> no, they're not. And that's the thing, isn't it? it? You can't change somebody that goes into a room that says they're not interested. So it's, it really is about focusing on the audience that is interested in what you're doing. And the other thing I learned early on was that the things that I take for granted, and so the assumptions that everyone else knows what I'm talking about, aren't true and that those little little nuggets that you can give out to people can can literally change somebody's color career right for me that's that's the conversation for me but that changes the way they work which means 
take them where it's smarter and make more money. <clears throat> and I, I should never take it for granted that everyone knows that. I, I tell you what, Jack, I learned a really useful thing. I was actually doing a team day for Paul Edmonds just before they went across the road to the right. new salon. And in the front row was one of the youngest trainees, members of the team. I can't remember what I was talking about, but he said something to me. Oh, I, I know. I was talking about my kids and saying, well, sadly, they don't listen to me like, like you're listening to me. And he said to me, you're never a prophet in your own town, are you? That's a good one. And I think that's what's fantastic about what's opened up for all of us. We're, we're way bigger than our own town, whether that be our local town or the usual audience we present to. Now we're, we can present to a bigger audience. So not that I want to be a prophet, but it just reminded me actually you you might have heard your message and some people might have <clears throat> heard your message. There's tons and tons of people who haven't don't even know yes. how to take a section to do that little hairline bit on a balayage. No. And they don't even know you exist until one day. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah. not everyone knows you. So that's really cool. And I think we've answered the second question really in that. And it's like, how what do you do when it all goes wrong? And the 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 take home from it is, is that you keep on connecting. And you keep being human, yeah? Yeah, I mean, for me, I always just say I've gone wrong. I mean, if I forget something or if I trip over or all the stuff that you would imagine could happen, will happen if you've done, you know, hundreds of talks. Um, And I just say, oh, I've forgotten the next bit or the slide's missing or, you know, I'll come back to that. And, you know, nobody, honestly, I've never had anybody, I've never had a client feedback who said, that was a disaster. You missed slide 34. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn 34. That was our key. I mean, <laughs> clearly if you're about to present a huge advertising campaign and the, and the film doesn't work, it would be so, so sad, but that's circle of influence and circle of control. You're not in charge of that piece of technology. You're in charge of delivering whatever it is that you've been asked to deliver. And if the technology doesn't work, that's not necessarily your fault. No. So you have to, talk you know talk around it and be totally human and if you laugh or if you're embarrassed or if you sneeze by mistake or whatever it is in people like you know Simon said people are just human and they just I mean, they, they don't even think about it you just just carry on uh, yeah I could I could not echo that more uh I think uh, the, the caveat of that is being as prepared as you can be um I remember going to do a job in Dubai and I had the presentation on a computer. I had it on a memory stick. And in the days when we still used them, I had it on a disc. And the first two things failed, but they managed to get the disc to work. But if that hadn't have worked, I would have just done it off um, uh, a PowerPoint that wasn't up on the screen. Yeah. And it is being honest. I think being... I nearly said translucent then. I nearly did what you do, Joe, what you were saying about to get that word. <laughs> you just need some sunshine, Simon. <laughs> I think it's about being transparent yeah. and being, you know, being, having a degree of honesty and not trying to be perfect. Yeah, perfectionism is, a, is a, an enormously crippling disease. Unfortunately, people talk about it as though it's a good thing. Oh, I'm such a perfectionist, I, you know, but actually it holds you back from so much in life because you're not prepared to 
to grow outside your your comfort zone because the perfectionist in you is saying oh no but that's not right yet or you haven't got that exactly right or you know if if you can get rid of that that concern which is holding you back and like Simon said keeping you small then I think then you know that's where the fire happens that's that's brilliant because at the end of the day we just want to we all want to connect with other humans and we want to know that we're all vulnerable because we are we want to know that we make mistakes because we do we want to know that we're not perfect because we're not um so so I think when you know that me. it helps you mm. oh yeah perfectionism annoys me because it because so many people are like oh it's not right yet I can't do it yet and the fact is if you don't go wrong somewhere where are the lessons that you learn I know it sounds so trite to say that but in anything you have to make mistakes to be able to understand what's gone wrong and then you can actually be better mm. I, yeah it's funny I, I was t- when I, in the intro I was saying I work for Vidal Sassoon and I can remember being so frustrated brought brought myself to tears and it was in the time when the whole thing was about a bob when we cut a bob you didn't want any graduation. You wanted this perfect line. And it was a perfectionist company in those days. And you used to get two mirrors and hold them up underneath. You know, if you saw a tiny bit of graduation, you were, you know, ticked off. I could never get it right because hair is hair. It's not a material. It's It's got little growth patterns. And so it's so true what Joe's saying. Some things you do them as, the best to your ability at that time, and that is good enough. Yeah. And mm. just keep keep stepping outside of your zone and keep keep pushing your your comfort zone a bit a little bit further. You know, you don't have to go from zero to a hundred. You know, go from zero to two and two to four and you know keep yeah. building slowly. And also and you is, have to remember that sorry Jack, I was just gonna say that okay. when it comes down to perfectionism we all have different levels of perfectionism. So there isn't a perfectionism barometer. You know, my version of perfectionism might be somebody's perfect. You know, my, yeah. imper- sorry, my version of imperfect might be somebody else's perfect. So if that's the case, then it doesn't even exist in the first place. Because, you know, if you think you haven't quite got your presentation down exactly how you want it do you think anybody else will notice no because in the room of 50 people you've got 50 versions of what great looks like yeah that's really true and also the thing is you're not going to go out into a room and present to five million people straight off anyway are you you're going to maybe (laughs) present to your team members or you're you know maybe you're going to you've got a small following and you present to your following on Instagram, it doesn't start off with millions of people watching you or thousands or hundreds. It always starts off small and that's where you can iron out the kinks and get used to it. So Simon, do you think clothes play a role in your presentation? Absolutely, I do. Yeah, I think it com- it comes back to that, that fundamental thing. You know, what is your brand? You know, what is, you know, what's my brand? What's Joe's brand? You know, what's your brand? And I think when you understand what it is you're you're trying to project personally and who you are and what you want, how you want the audience to perceive you, you know, you can then look at, okay, what sort of thing will I wear? I mean, a lot of that comes from your 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 personal style and what you mm. what you like. But I, I think clothes make me feel better 
So I would wear something that when I, you know what it's like, we've all got that bit in our wardrobe where we put it on and think, Ooh. yeah, not, yeah. not too not bad. Okay. <laughs> For my age and all that stuff, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. So I think it, it's somewhere again, something that's comfortable, but also something that portrays you as you want to be portrayed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, many I, an outfit yeah. I've bought that I've thought, yeah, that looks really cool. And I'm like, that'll look cool on stage. And I put it on and I felt so uncomfortable in it. And I felt such a, a idiot in it that I've had to take it back. And I'm like, you know what? You know what you like, really. Just wear what you like and keep it simple for me. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to stay authentic. And then if we come back to your stage, uh, the staging height conversation, <laughs> if you are unfortunate enough to be on a stage that's sort of four foot high where everybody's looking up, you know, then it's really about considering what you're going to wear. If, for, you know, if, yes. if you're a dress wearer, for example, you know, do you really want to be wearing a dress where everybody's going to be looking up? So, you know, it, it does, it really depends on the whole, you know, you know, what's the stage like? How large the audience? How much do you need to be seen? I know in hairdressing, there's a lot of black that's worn, of course, because of the colour and and that's often a uniform in salons and stuff. Oh, you're both wearing black. That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> uh, I know I get it. I get it. I completely get it. But I'm just saying, if you're on stage and you're going to be doing a presentation, is that the the right colour to wear? Is there an opportunity um, to wear another colour if you want to be seen more? I don't know. These are just questions that I would be asking myself um, if I was preparing my outfit. For me, if I can't move around, and I'm certainly not going to wear shoes I can't walk in. Yeah. Um, they're really, really important, those two elements, because there's a bit that you, they, they call you up to stage and there's a bit where you have to walk from where you're standing or your seat onto the stage, which is the bit you're, you know, you're, in your head you're going, I'm going to trip, I'm going to trip, stop tripping, I'm not going to trip. And if you've got really high-heeled shoes, for me, if I've got really big high heels on at that point, that's like the most terrifying moment. <laughs> because I don't want to get on stage and immediately trip up. It's not supposed to be a comedy presentation. Um, that's why I leave my Cuban heeled boots at home, I'm afraid. They do not yeah. come on stage. I mean, stage it's best to keep those yeah. for dancing, Jack. Keep yeah. those yeah. for dancing. <laughs> keep those for dancing. Um, I've got one more real question. And it's just been such a great great talking to you both and some brilliant insights. So thank you so, so much for bringing this to the table. As we've gone from live and we go to digital, what changes in that? The, for, for me, the first thing is that you can't read the room. So I'm like, oh, my God, mm. all I can see is a number count at the top, which is a few people that have joined. And then it, I'm like, I still do the breathe. And I'm like, hi. And I have to raise my voice a bit because Carrie, who, you know, Carrie, Simon, she always tells me I sound dead. So I have to sort of, I have to put the Jack Howard voice on the show, right? She's like, can you do that like you sound enthusiastic? And I'm like, I'm doing my best. She's like, come on, up it. So I have to do the Jack Howard voice and then watch the count, say hello. What else do you have to do that's different, do you think? I found it way more terrifying. Can I just be honest with it? Um, I found it because, like you say, you're talking to no one. No and uh, yes, it, it, well, you. I mean, obviously, you are because you get feedback and people leave comments, and generally they're kind. I haven't had any anybody who's been unkind so far, thank God. But that is also a massive fear. Is you know, I don't want to do it. I was coaching somebody the other day, and and she really wants to do more social media. Um, she's a bit older, and she's very frightened of uh, 
of trolls. Trolls. Um, yeah, and, and so it's, it's the same thing, right? It's the same as being in front of an audience. You're worried about judgment. Um, so that is, is a fear that sort of sits within you when you start to do something uh, with social media. For me, it was about getting the angle right. Oh my God, Jack, you helped me so much. I remember having conversations with you about my angle and you sent me a message saying, your angle looks good, but I would do this and think about that. And, and I still don't think I ever have quite cracked it yet. So I certainly haven't got the lighting um, I'm a bit envious of your lighting. Um, light, lighting is essential because <laughs> lighting is essential. Yeah, lighting is especially Why as you get older. To find this lighting, <laughs> yeah, so I think you should do that, Jack. If you did yeah. that, I'd, I'd love you forever because honestly, I, I think you know, for me, you know, lighting is really important. Your background is important. I don't have any particularly sexy backgrounds in my house. It's such a small terrace house, and so I'm really struggling with finding a nice. You know, like you've got this very nice studio looking setup, which is great. Mm. Some people use, um, uh, what are they called? Um, screens or whatever behind them, which is which is really good. And then you've got to think about that you're only here. So you can be in your tracky bums um, and then think about what you're going to wear on top. Um, and, uh, you know, and sound is also around, around you. You have to think about the sound because you, of course, you're, you're speaking and recording. So... You can't be somebody with where there's a lot of background sound. I think in a salon, it would be impossible to do a recording because of the, the hair dryers. Yeah. Um, unless definitely. you want that sound as, yeah. as part of your, as part of what you're doing. Maybe you want to have something that's really real. Um, and angles. And I'm, I'm, I have to be honest, I, I haven't cracked the angles. I don't know. You know, so the, in, give, me, give me some help on angles. <laughs> <laughs> Hair angles I'm good at. (laughs) (laughs) Friends have just been brilliant. I I used friends to help me find what positions were right and sort um, sort of video conference them so that we could communicate with each other about what was working, what isn't. Like my, if my friend was watching this right now, I should say that that ring light that's shining in the corner there is terrible. Right. Um, but she's not watching. I was going to say, Jack, I was, I was going to bring it up actually. (laughs) But I went lens shopping for lenses that don't reflect as much, you know, so I had to up the ante on the lenses. But it, it's a journey, isn't it? It's it's the same. For me, it was the same as the first time on stage in Raleigh, North Carolina or South Carolina, wherever I was, and, you know, died on stage. The first time I went live on Instagram, I felt like I died again, you know, but you just pick yourself up and keep going. What do you think the difference is, Simon? Well, I think... All the things you've covered, but I actually think the positive is, I mean, the audience would never know how many notes or how many pieces of paper you had pinned to the screen that they couldn't see. So one of the things I found is that bit is easier. Yeah. And I think, I, I mean, people, I'm not like this, but people tell me I come across as very laid back and very calm and all that sort of stuff. Now, obviously that's, I'm not like that internally. So I found I've really had to up the ante. I've had to mm. kind of, a bit like you were saying, Jack, I've had to be the bit louder Simon than yes. I, I normally am. One, one of the things I say to people is when, when I'm coaching them, I, fa- I found coaching people online one-to-one actually really successful. Mm. In, in a way, some, in some ways, easier than working face to face. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? And I can I actually think it's yeah. for me the, uh, what, what I find is we'll you know I do short some shorter sessions 
send them away to do a task and then do a, another shorter session. So we, we actually get more time because we're not, there's none of the traveling and none of the, yes. so I think yeah. it's been really useful. I do think all of those things, the position, your eye contact, you know, your, 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 your angle, your background, what you're wearing on the top, mm. all of that is got to be considered still comes down to breathing pace tone pitch all of that stuff is really important live i think you don't have to go out and buy all this equipment straight away i mean i broadcast on my iphone and i've got a ring light that i bought on amazon for not very much money so that's all the setup i've got because i don't have a big enough big enough audience like, like you do i have nowhere near the numbers and so for me it's about what I'm saying. And if people want to be bothered to tune in, I'm so grateful and I'm really, I'm really happy, but I'm prepared to accept the fact that it's small steps, small yes. growth, mm. you know, for every 10 people you get, you know, I'm really happy about it. My audience is, 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 is small and I'm, and I, I'd love to grow it, but I'm not going to run before I can walk. And yeah. so once it gets to a certain point, you know, then I might be prepared to invest in, lighting or whatever it is but i'm not i don't think people should go out and invest in all that stuff if you've got you know a few followers and you're trying to to start off i think just start by saying something interesting that you know and being honest and authentic and genuine and all those lovely words and then people will connect and it will grow organically and and your growth is is been amazing and interestingly you've always been so committed and so dedicated to making sure you're serving your audience with really honest and genuine information. And I remember you saying such a long time ago, Joe, I just want to educate people. I'm not interested in, you know, pictures of me having lunch or what I've eaten for breakfast or, you know, whatever it is. I just want to do what I do. And I think that's the key thing at the end of the day. I think people want to connect with other humans who are, you know, giving them some advice or being honest about something. And that's what attracts people to you. There's nothing better to me than the feeling of somebody going from finding it really difficult to string a few words together to, to saying to me, right, I'm going to do a live and I'm going to get you as my guest on it. And not, you know, that, or they're, they're putting out videos for their salon for recruitment videos and they filmed themselves doing a recruitment video. To me, that's like, wow, actually this stuff is really powerful. Yes. And mm. I love that feeling of being part of somebody's journey like that. Absolutely. Then I I think that if you didn't enjoy that part of it, you wouldn't be great coaches because there has to be a piece of it where you just sit back and you go, wow, they've done brilliantly. Do you know what I mean? To watch somebody blossom. Um, it's the same as in a classroom. To watch somebody have an aha moment is the best time of my life it's not the drinks afterwards it's not the models it's the person that goes oh or the message that you know you've really helped me and stuff like that but to me that sort of is the piece that I love the most about it I would like to say though Joe that I you know if you go back to my first live it was in my kitchen with a very small ring light it was very dark (laughs) and the lights were slowly added to it i didn't just go well, out and go that, boom on amazon <laughs> no no exactly exactly but i'm saying is that because it's really difficult when you see people like you now my point was really around that you didn't start yeah. with that 
right? Yeah. You started in a small way. And then as you grew and as you've got more of an audience and more of a community, you've just grown what it is that you need in order to do that really well for them. Yeah. Um, and and, that, and that's the point. And I think because I think I think the, one of the intimidating things and certainly when I talk to people who want to do it um, and quite often people who are a little bit older, we, you know, I'm not a digital native. So for me, the technology is here and I've been using it for a while. But, you know, I didn't even have a mobile phone when I was young. So, you know, and, and it's second nature to to the younger generations. But it's a you know, it's about taking small steps. I think that's yes. the real key thing. And it's not, you know, you don't have to go and buy all this stuff and then you'll immediately become successful. And then that, cause you just get disappointed that you're not, um, you just need to start. And uh, yeah, anyway, I, always say, I, I hate to say it, but get over yourself and just do it. Absolutely. And I was also listening to something <laughs> yesterday when they were talking about coaches and the biggest, and I think this applies to, to what you're doing, um, Jack, the biggest, thing a coach can give the biggest gift they can give the whoever they're coaching is to stay curious and to stay curious a little bit longer than we normally yes. would and I think for you your curiosity comes down to right what do my audience want what do they want to see what do they need to see what's going to help them what's going to help mm. them grow and I think that's the same for, for us it's kind of a what are the little tr- keys that are going to unlock somebody being able to present what what yeah what questions do i need to ask them it's not necessarily about giving advice sometimes it's about asking the right question and asking them to try different things that unlocks something inside of them where they think actually i can do this yes yeah. yes yeah. and the joy the joy is helping people obviously and then the yes. the fulfillment is seeing people succeed you know or su- grow i love to see mm. someone grow i love to grow myself do you know what yeah. i mean yeah and i bet you've learned loads from your community loads and you know <clears throat> really the interesting thing about it is that it's the feedback from people isn't it always mm. the feedback you know after even after you do a presentation somebody comes and talks to you about it and they give you insights that you would never have thought of into how it impacted them. So feedback is so important. Mm. But you have to create the opportunity for them to be able to do that. And it's the same with public speaking. So I think that's why it comes back to this, this, this idea that we've all spoken about, which is about kind of open communication, because yes. the, the feedback is, is because you've been approachable. Yes. You know, if we're presenting this perfect image of, I'm trying to think of a big celebrity and I can't, you know, perfect, perfect, perfect. How intimidating is it to give that person feedback because they've created perfection? It may not be real, but it's been created. Whereas if you're being, you know, just honestly communicating with people, then you've got these open sort of doorways for communication to flow. And that's just wonderful for everybody. I think also going along with that, if you're, you know, you think about us um, in other arenas in sports, if you're expected to uh, not show any vulnerability at all ever, holding all of that together takes such a lot of energy. Mm. And actually better for your own well-being and probably better for the audience's well-being to to be human. Yeah. Mm. You know, we've spoken about it a lot, but I think that's a key a key trait of a relatable um, presenter. 
Yeah. And you do want to be relatable, don't you? There's no point going up there, sort of these sort of sort of and digi entertainers and all that stuff. There's just to me, there's no point in that. For me, the and I know the word gets banded around so much that authenticity, but the the true me, right? The re, the true colorist, Jack. You want to connect with people, and you want people to be able to connect with you and to be able to talk to you because that's that's part of the fun, right? Mm. I think as a hairdresser, we are we're steeped in right from the very early days. A client sits in our chair, and however long they're in there, by the time they stand up and leave, our sole intention is making that client happy. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's, that's also very difficult to live that life. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Jack. Jack changed my hair color, and honestly, you changed my hair, and I obviously we met and we always got on. But it it was such an amazing experience to walk out of walk away from your chair, having had this experience, and then think and look in the mirror and go, "Oh God, I'd literally love it." Yeah. How often, you know, it was, it was such an amazing thing. But and you've taught me so much, actually, over the years that you've been building, you know, your, you know, your kind of um, brand, I guess we call it. Um, because the, 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 when we come back to what we talked about right at the beginning was that failure is such a great teacher. Yes. You know, we don't learn anything from getting it right. No, but it doesn't feel good at the time. That bit, I can assure everyone, when you fail, it feels terrible. But it's it's the the sitting back and the looking at it and the analysing it and the breaking it down. Now, my mm-hmm. final question, and it's um, it's just a fun one. So presentation skills, of course, are teachable, right? What's the hardest thing that you had to learn as a presenter? And I'll start with Simon on this one. I think the hardest thing for me was I remember doing this this I uh, went away on a weekend actors institute and what they used to do was get you to take a song mm. and you had to not sing because I could I'd be like that program on the tv of where they get the terrible singers on um and you had to say your you could either take a poem or a song or any other limits you had to say them and I I chose Stevie Wonder uh, loves in need of love today and at the end of it the coach sort of said to me I did this big dramatic you know talking it and emphasizing all sorts of words and at the end of it he just said to me who do you think's in need of love and I sort of said oh I think it's me I think I'm the, I'm the one that's in need of love so I think I had to get over that thing that actually I was okay and I wasn't better or worse than anybody else, and I, I still look at that now. And I think just getting over that thing that I was I was good enough, right? And that 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 kind of then once I got over that, I then could take in all the learnings and um, that, that I needed to do to 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 present. Well, wow, that's a pretty profound, one, isn't it? That I'm good, good enough. One. Yeah. What about you, Joe? So the hardest thing I've had to learn, I think, is just being really content with being me. And that sounds ridiculous. And it's very similar to what Simon was saying, really. It all comes down to the, you know, I'm I am enough and I'm, you know, and I what you know, what I can present is really just me. <laughs> and if I try to be somebody else, I never do it really well. And yeah. so you just have to come back to yourself. 
And if yourself, you know, I, I remember thinking at one point, oh my God, my voice is so posh. Oh God, everything, you know, and, but this is the way I speak. I can't do anything about it. It's just the way I am. It's the way that I speak. And I'm okay with that now. You know, I'm just me. So I think we have to just be really comfortable with ourselves. And what you have to offer is different from everybody else. And so if we're all just ourselves and not trying to be, you know, I don't know, I could be trying to be, you know, Michelle Obama, who I think is an incredible speaker and so poignant with so much poise. If I was trying to be her, I'd fail because I'm never going to be her. And yeah. I'm not even going to say good enough to be her because I'm good enough being me. And I think that's the that's the really and it took me probably till I was 40 <laughs> to realise that one. <laughs> you asked a different question, Jack, about what's the hardest presentation I've ever done. I once did a presentation to um, the L'Oreal sales team, you know, the guys that go into salons day yes. after And just an explanation, Joe, they go into salons day after day trying to sell product. Salon owners are normally too busy to see them, so they get batted off all the time. And they'd asked me to come in and do some uh, what a salon owner might like to, how you could approach a salon owner to talk to them. And they were the most cynical, hard-nosed bunch and basically <laughs> didn't get a single thing from what I from the presentation that I delivered. And I came out of there thinking, I'm never presenting again. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> <Now> your audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> never again. Thank you so much for both of you for coming on today because just some really good talk and some real honest talk about how you how you present. And for me, the, the takeout a lot of it was about being true to yourself in it all and about overcoming or at least trying to overcome some of that fear as as you go on stage or you go live in front of an audience or you're in digital or whatever it is. And the other thing that seems to resonate through to it is that really you've got to be true, I think. You've got to be true to you in it and know the audience. So I've really, really enjoyed having you both on. Thank you so much for taking the time out today. Um, I can't tell you how much I'm chuffed with this podcast. (laughs) Thanks for having us, Jack. It was so fun. So fun. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did making it for you. Don't forget to subscribe on your channel that you download your podcasts from. iTunes is my favourite, but I know there are others out there. And also, if you want to follow me on stories on Instagram, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R, the American way, not the English way. And on Facebook, it's Jack Howard Colour, C-O-L-O-R. And my website is www.jackhowardcolour.com. <laughs> <laughs>